Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So you know everyone in India is cricket crazy, right? So how do you mean? Well, in India, like growing up, if you went to almost any kid's home, they figured out some way to play mini cricket in their bedroom or their hallway or the alley next to their house or wherever. Like no matter the space, there's a tiny bat and ball and a set of home rules people have for when you come over. My point is cricket's a total national obsession. Yeah, and, and I know we've talked about this a, a little bit before, you know, as, as opposed to here where there's so many pro teams and college sports that, that compete for all of our attention. Right, so that's just background for the story I wanted to tell you. When I was in India in 2003, my uncle poured me a glass of Pepsi Blue, and I thought, that's weird. Like, they'd sold it for a year or two in the States before, but I had no idea that the blueberry flavor would translate to India. So I, I asked, they make Pepsi Blue here? And my uncle's in advertising and super aware of campaigns. And he said, oh, yeah, Pepsi made this special blue drink just to support India's cricket team. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So, like, India's team wears blue. So the ad story when they introduced Pepsi Blue there was that Pepsi made this blue drink just for the Indian market. And all over, like, all these cricket fans were happily guzzling the stuff, like, out of some sort of warped patriotism. <laughs> but obviously it was, like, this clever way to one-up Coke and endear themselves to the market as they were phasing out the beverage abroad. But the whole thing made me think of the cola wars and the lengths Pepsi and Coke go to to outdo one another all over the world. And that's what today's show is all about. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikader. And the man on the other side of the soundproof glass wearing a beer helmet with a Coke on one side and I think a Pepsi on the other <laughs> is our friend and producer Tristan McNeil. Now, Mango, I know we're going to dig into the Cola Wars, and, and there's so much good stuff here. I honestly can't wait to talk about RC Cola and Richard Nixon and, of course, the official soda of the KKK. Honestly, there's so much good stuff we had to leave on the cutting room floor. Like, we'll probably have to revisit this topic. I, I Honestly, I hope we do. But, but before we get to any of that, we should 
could probably handle a couple of quick corrections and notes from readers. So let's start here. There, there was one that we got that the most comments about. This was your reading of the word pasty. Notice how I just said it, right? And, <laughs> in your dog breed or regional treat quiz. It was in the dog show episode a, a week or so ago. Yeah, so I, I thought it was pronounced pasty, like the nipple covering in a burlesque show, of but, but <laughs> apparently it's pasty. And I, I think both Hiram Patterson and Babs Johnson Visage were, were the first to correct us and and also about our misuse of the word youper. So if you do message us with your addresses, we will Pony Express you a t-shirt. I like how it's possible that you mispronounced both of their names as <laughs> I well, definitely so we, did. we may have to issue another correction of that. All right, and, and speaking of geography errors, we also made a minor gaffe in our theme parks episode where we told readers that Ethling Theme Park is in Amsterdam. Uh, it, it's actually about an hour and 15 minutes south of the city. <laughs> I love this that we hear from listeners on this. So, so if you traveled all the way to Amsterdam and you've been wandering around the city looking for a theme park, we are so, so, so sorry. Sorry, but also kind of laughing at that. So, <laughs> so the the Twitter user Juiced Over wrote in about that. So hit us up with your address, Juiced, and and we'll send you a shirt too. And of course, for all you other listeners, if you don't happen to get our attention on Facebook or Twitter, you can always hit us up at parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com or on our 24-7 fact hotline, 1-844-PT-Genius, both of which we check constantly. And, and that fact hotline is still 24-7, right? Mm-hmm, still okay. 24-7. Awesome. That's so exciting. All right. So, Mango, I know you and I don't love war, but there there is one exception to this. We love cola wars. And <laughs> when it comes down to it, I know you and I both fall in the Coke camp, though, as you know, I'm also a Diet Mountain Dew fan, but I've never asked, are, are there other sodas that you like? Well, I, I'm certainly a Coke loyalist, though I'm also a huge root beer fan. Like, I, as a kid, I remember thinking it was the ultimate treat. Like, Snoopy drank it, Dennis the Menace, all my heroes. And I also had this dream that someday when I grew up, I'd have a root beer cellar in my house, just filled with different types of chilled root beer. <laughs> That's nice. And this actually came true, right? Don't you have a root beer cellar? Absolutely. Such <laughs> a kid dream. I, I'm guessing the root beer cellar was smack between your comic book library and your indoor petting zoo, but, but both of which you actually have now as well. <laughs> That's true. But, but the thing is, I actually do love sodas. And it sounds ridiculous, but I actually like the fizziness when you first pour it into a glass and you feel those little bubbles popping up against your face. And Why is that ridiculous? <laughs> that, that, that's what I love about it. And I, I like that soda reminds me of my childhood. And, and also, like, I'm fascinated by new flavors. I, I love spicy cola variations like Thumbs Up from India. And I, I dig trying weird fruity sodas from other countries. But I, I think part of the reason I've always liked Coke so much is that the brandings always appeal to me. Like my family used to be Time or the Newsweek family and, and uh, they like Rolling Stone over Spin. And we've generally preferred the classic version of things. Well, actually, since you mentioned that, branding is probably a good place to start with this. And you and I have done so many Coke and Pepsi origin stories over the years that I don't think either one of us want to get into the the beginnings and talk about cocaine in the drinks and all that stuff. I mean, it's interesting, but we've talked a lot about it. So for this episode, we're definitely more interested in the fights between them. Sure, but why don't we give just like a one-sense background about them? So both drinks, as most people know, started as tonics for ailments. Coke, which launched in 1886, did have wine in it originally and cocaine, and eventually it lost those sinful qualities. By prohibition, it was playing itself up as the great national temperance beverage. <laughs> and, and the fact that it was the right color to mask a shot of whiskey, like that didn't hurt. Well, and, and of course, Pepsi wasn't that far behind. It launched in 1893. This was in North Carolina. And it has a similar background as a tonic, aside from the whole cocaine bit. But 
All right, but back to the branding. The thing that surprised me, and this kept coming up in our research, was how Coke has always marketed itself as a wholesome and nostalgic brand. And they've been playing up this idea that by taking a sip, you can pause and revel in the American way of life forever. And that Pepsi has always been on the other side of America, you know, this new, energetic, maybe even rebellious choice. Yeah, it's it's the choice of a new generation. I, I mean, I, I know Coke was served on the front lines of battles, and it aligned itself with war efforts, and they also helped popularize how Santa Claus looks. Like, Santa wasn't always depicted as this jolly man wearing red, and in early cartoons, he could be skinny and kind of scary-looking and even gnome-like. <laughs> but we should talk about why Coke was drawing Santa later, because it was like this ingenious way to get people to drink this refreshing summertime beverage in the winter. But... Why do you think they stuck to this idea of American wholesomeness? I was actually kind of wondering the same thing. And, you know, part of it's due to the association with prohibition. But then I heard this Planet Money on on how Coke managed to sell for the same price for so many years. Have you heard this episode? I mean, I love the show, but I haven't heard that. What's the story? It's amazing. So, So for 70 years, from 1886 until the 1950s, the price of Coke never changed. And you think about what's gone on in that time. You had a couple of world wars, a financial crash, along with the Roaring Twenties and some other prosperity. So there was a lot of up and down. And so David Kastenbaum and Planet Money tried to figure out how Cokes could sustain this price for so long. And so what's the answer? Why didn't they raise the price from a nickel when they needed to? Well, this all goes back to Asa Candler, who owned Coke for a while and went on to become mayor of Atlanta. And before he realized it'd be worth anything, Candler signed away the bottling rights to a franchisee. You know, he, he was thinking the real business would always be at the soda fountains. And he really didn't see bottling becoming much of a business. So the price listed on the contract had no end date. It was in perpetuity. That's odd. So Coke could never really make more money by upping the price of their syrup. Yeah, that's right. So, so they had to sell the syrup at a fixed price. And they also couldn't control the prices people were selling bottled Cokes for. Like, if someone wanted to sell a bottle of Coke for seven cents, there wasn't much they could do to stop them. But to take power back, they did this ingenious thing. They started putting up advertising everywhere that the price of a Coke was five cents. So I've actually seen old Coke memorabilia that had Coke just five cents on it. Yeah, that's because they slapped it everywhere. This was on signs and buildings, billboards, everywhere they could think to put it. So their philosophy was, you know, they couldn't tell bottlers how much to sell Coke for, but they could tell buyers how much to expect a bottle for. So if anyone tried to up the cost, the savvy Coke drinker would know that they were being fleeced. So how's this help Coke? Well, in a couple of ways. So first off, since the cost they could sell syrup to bottlers was fixed, the only way they could make more money was to sell more Coke. And so a national campaign advertising everywhere was the only way to speed that up. It's what Coke has invested in from early on and why they've always had this coherent ad strategy. But secondly, and, and this is what we were getting to initially with the wholesomeness, when, when you're doing all this advertising and you're appealing to all of America, from the 1900s on, the easiest way to sell is this very wholesome but emotional campaign. And nostalgia is perfect for that. I mean, this is my take on it, at least. And actually, there's so much good stuff in the Planet Money episode that I, I don't want to spoil it for you, uh, from how Coke maintained the prices, soda fountains to what this has to do with the gold standard. It, <laughs> it's, it's a crazy story. But actually, there is one more fact I want to tell you. Oh, yeah? What's that? 
Well, when Coke wanted to finally up the price after 70 years of charging five cents, their vending machines only took nickels, so they had to figure something out. But the company didn't want to raise the price to 10 cents, so they came up with this evil genius way to up the price. (laughs) In their machines, every ninth bottle distributed was called an official blank, and it was just an empty souvenir bottle. (laughs) What? So so it was like Coke roulette, and it might just come up empty for you? I mean, basically, eight people in a row would get Cokes, and then the ninth would be empty. I mean, how ridiculous is this? <laughs> I'd be so pissed. Yeah, and the, the executives were stoked because it upped the price of a Coke from five cents to a little more than six cents. But fans thought it was idiotic, and the company quickly stopped, obviously. Yeah, so I've got to say, I'm, I'm not a huge Pepsi drinker, but some of their early history is really fascinating to me, too. All right, well, tell us a little bit about that. Well, th- this is actually in pure contrast to what you're talking about. So unlike Coke, which generally had the backing of the temperance movement and supplied the troops and survived the Great Depression, all without changing its price, which honestly is remarkable, yeah. Pepsi struggled. Like, there there were a few highlights along the way. Pepsi basically made inroads by selling their product for cheaper. They had the first national ad jingle, this song called Nickel Nickel, which was animated and and so popular it became this hit single. (laughs) But it also promoted the fact that Pepsi was a deal. It was a dime's worth of soda for just a nickel. And the brand wanted to appeal to consumers on a budget. But what felt revolutionary to me about Pepsi was that in 1940, a few years after this guy named Walter Mack took over the company, Pepsi started hiring black college grads and targeting the black market in America. Which is obviously very different from what Coke would have been doing and, and would not have been part of their nostalgia campaign. Yeah, definitely not. And and to me, this is part of the identity Pepsi's going to take on. Exciting, new, rebellious. And remember, this is seven years before Jackie Robinson had broken the color barrier in sports. And I I should tell you, so most of the story comes from The Real Pepsi Challenge, this wonderful book by a Wall Street Journal reporter, Stephanie Caporell. And she went out and found the interns and employees who ran and worked on the, quote, Negro Markets team. But one of the things Caporell points out is that athletics were so much easier to integrate. Like, you were picking one or two talented athletes to play in a game, and as heated as that was, it didn't pose the same level of threat to America that giving away white-collar jobs to qualified black employees seemed to. And to be clear, Pepsi being the cheaper soda was already the preferred black beverage. But once Mac hired this team, Pepsi started doing these really innovative things. Like they start using black models and ads like almost a decade before Coke and before anyone really. And they also featured black college graduates in their campaigns associating Pepsi with black excellence. And they showcase middle class black families having fun. They basically go against all the Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben stereotyping that they referred to as slave in a box ads. And they shifted perceptions. And the impact is felt everywhere, right? Like, so Pepsi ads in magazines and sponsored sections celebrating black achievements start getting used in classrooms and colleges. And the team does almost too good a job, like everywhere they go. And they went to black churches, colleges, uh, civic centers, and, and of course, bottling plants. Everywhere they go, they're successful. Hmm. And, and to me, this is really where the Cola War starts because Pepsi starts outselling Coke in bottle form. And Coke's contracts with the government and fountain shops keep them ahead. But the team is so good that Pepsi's Walter Mack, who is a liberal and, and truly believes in integration, but he's really a businessman first. He has to go out and separate himself from the black market saying, 
and he uses the most harmful words, words we're not going to say on this program, but he basically tells a white audience of investors that Pepsi's aspirations are not going to be a black drink. And to balance this liberal perception, they market themselves as Southern goodness. Wow, which is crazy. But from my notes, Pepsi was already the number two coal in America. This was even before Mac took over, right? Yeah, so they'd grown under Charles Guth, who who owned Loft Candy Company and was looking for a cheaper fountain drink than Coke. So he bought the bankrupt Pepsi in 1931 and inserted the drink in his fountain shops and helped it rise. But things really heated up after that period. That said, well, one thing I love is all the early knockoff colas that were trying to compete around the time. Well, we, we should probably break to chat with our special guest, but why don't you throw me a few of those before we do? Yeah, so... Chero Cola, Candy Cola, Roxa Cola, Taka Cola, Ka Cola, Itza Cola, Kiss Cola. <laughs> there was even a Coke Ola. <laughs> I don't think there's any way they could get away with that name now. Actually, the dumbest I read about was this cola meant to appeal to fans of the KKK after Birth of a Nation came out. It was this niche beverage called Clue Coca-Cola. <laughs> That's so weird, like three Ks, obviously. But I, I mean, between the hood and the burning crosses and all that sweltering summer heat, what better way to cool down than with an ice cold Clue Coca-Cola? God, so stupid. I, I know. I, I really hope it came in an all white can. Ah, oh, good question. But while we look that up, why don't we pause for a break? Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Our guest today is John Neese. He's the owner of pretty much a soda mecca that people actually make pilgrimages to. It's it's called Galco's Soda Pop Stop in Los Angeles. And John stocks his aisles with over 700 incredible flavors of fizzy beverages. So, John, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Well, thank you very much. So when did you first get obsessed with sodas? Oh, 
you know, when I was a little kid, my uncle came up to the to the holiday. I think it was a Thanksgiving holiday dinner, and and he opened these quart bottles of Clico Club. He put them on the table, and then he told us, "You can't have any until you finish everything on your plate." <laughs> well, that was pretty depressing for a little kid that never had an opportunity to drink any sodas before, and uh, and that's really about the place that it began. And then when I was a little older, I went to work with my father, and the big deal was having a dad's root beer for lunch every single day. <laughs> Why did uh, Galco start specializing in carbonated beverages? Oh, well, you know, we, we've been doing this about 18, 19 years now, and we, we started all of this. And what happened was we were going broke. What's really interesting about going broke is no matter what you do, you can't make a bad decision. They're all, they're all winning decisions. <laughs> you can't make a bad decision. And uh, the Pepsi-Cola, what had happened was the, the chain stores had bought the distribution channels for the little markets, and they closed them down, and when they reopened them, everything was like 10 to $15 a case more expensive. And what they were really doing was getting rid of the cap on supermarket pricing because if the supermarkets sold their products for more than a little mom and pop, everybody knew they were charging too much. What happened was we um, went out and were looking for something to do, and we decided on, on soda pop. You know, the Coke and Pepsi had bought all the shelf space in the supermarkets, and there was no choice. And the Pepsi-Cola man came in. He said, I'm going to give you the best buy you're ever going to get on a pallet of Pepsi-Cola cans. I'm only going to charge you five fifty-nine a case. And I looked at him and I said, how much profit am I going to make on that 100-case pallet? And he said, oh, about $30. And I said, well, thank you, but no thank you. I'm going to send my customers down to the supermarket down the street. They're on sale down there for $1.99, 12-pack. He looked at me and he says, you can't do that. Pepsi-Cola is a banned item and your customers are going to demand that you carry Pepsi-Cola. And I said, well, my customers, they'd be happy. I was honest with them and tell them they can buy them cheaper than I can buy them. Why would they want to buy them from me? Well, he <laughs> turned around and walked out. And the next day he came in with his regional manager and his area manager. They walked around. They looked, never said a word to me, walked out, never came back. And boy, was I angry. I was so angry. Nobody <laughs> in here could talk to me. And about... Two weeks later, the light bulb clicked on and said, you know what? You ought to thank Pepsi-Cola for reminding you that you own your shelf space. They don't, and you can sell anything you want. And that's when I started looking for sodas. And I found 25 little independent brands right off the bat. They were still in glass bottles. They were still using cane sugar, and they were delicious. They weren't like the Coke and Pepsis of the world who were using all corn syrup and really dull in flavor. And and I know that everybody's taste is is different, but are are there any flavors you've been skeptical about at first, but have been really surprised by after you tasted them? I well, uh, as a cola, yes. Uh, there was this cola, and it was called um, Spiffy, and I'm looking at it. And I'm going, I don't <laughs> know about this. I really don't know about it. And then I tasted it. It was a lemon cola. It was so crisp and clean. I mean, it became a uh, a fan very, very soon. And then there was another one, you know, like everybody's familiar with Fenimans from England. And that's actually a ginger cola, and it's brewed like a beer. And uh, somebody in the New York Times about 10, 15 years ago called it the best cola ever made. And it's very good. Don't get me wrong. But I started wondering how many colas had he ever tasted. 
<laughs> this episode has been mostly about the uh, the wars between Coke and Pepsi, but we we should have done an episode on on the wars between Pepsi and John Neese. That sounds like a pretty <laughs> juicy one. Oh well, come on in here. I got a letter from them. That said they were going to sue me. Oh no, for carrying oh, wow. Pepsi Cola from uh, Mexico, and this is before hmm. they started making it there. And I said, uh, you know, we're going to sue you. And I said, for what? Well, you're selling Mexican Pepsi. And I said, and I started laughing that the attorneys uh, from some big law firm, Patty something or another in Chicago. And I said, I said, you got to be kidding. Everybody in Los Angeles has Pepsi Cola from, from Mexico. And he says, yeah, but you're getting the, uh, the publicity. So we're going to sue you. And I said, look, wow. what do you want? Oh, well, uh, I just said, send me a letter. That's all you got to do. Send me a letter. I want it in writing. He sent me a letter, so I framed it and put it on the wall. Well, I, I did want to ask, uh, you know, you were talking about these family-owned uh, soda creators that put their products in glass bottles. What makes a glass bottle so much better? The way product goes into a glass bottle is the way the product comes out. It has a much longer shelf life, and it holds the carbonation. Everything is held much better. Um, if you put it in plastic, it leaks. If you put it in aluminum, aluminum it leaks. You know, I, I get a big kick out of listening to these beer companies tell you how great the beer cans are today because they're lined. Well, I want you to know the beer cans have always been lined <laughs> with a protective coating. But that doesn't keep the beer or the soda pop or whatever it is in it from eating through the lining. And it happens. And it tastes terrible. It winds up tasting like tin or aluminum, one of the two, mm-hmm. or plastic. I don't care. But when things go in the glass, the way they go in is the way they come out. I had a bottler call me oh, about a year ago and said that he found some of his ginger ale that was made about 30 or 40 years ago up in the attic, a couple of bottles. And the young kid was going to throw them out. And he said, no, don't do that. Just put them in the refrigerator. He put them in the refrigerator and he tasted them the next day. And they were really, the young kid was very surprised that that it still had flavor and it still tasted okay. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> great, but it was okay. So I'm, I'm curious if you carry any of these novelty products that we sometimes see, like we've read about this disgusting ranch soda, and I, I don't know if there's there's any of these that you decide to carry or any of them that you actually like. No, <laughs> I don't carry them. You're going to buy them one time and you'll never buy them again. I don't have time or shelf space, enough shelf space to carry that kind of a product. If you mm-hmm. want to try something that's very different, okay. Um, how about a spruce beer that tastes like a pine tree? One fellow walks in, he tastes it, and he goes, this is my new favorite soda. The next person that comes along and tastes it says, this is the closest thing to drinking turpentine I've ever tasted. <laughs> <laughs> and then you take a, a moxie. If you sip it, the one we have is a cane sugar formula, not the corn syrup versions that are uh, made by Coca-Cola of New England up in New England. Um Ours is actually a cane sugar version, and if you sip it, you may get a cola, root beer, cinnamon, vanilla, licorice, black cherry flavor. You might get one, you might get two or three. Um, at, the, at the other end, um, you know, if you drink it, like, a so, like people drink sodas today, you're going to get carbonated cough medicine. So it just <laughs> depends. There are such things as sipping sodas. Now, those type of things... I will say, you want to try it, you want to know. You can try it one time, you never have to taste it again. 
So I've heard that you carry kosher Coke, and and what makes the taste of kosher Coke so special? Well, number one, <laughs> Coca-Cola um, has been trying to sell to me. I haven't carried kosher Coke in since the last time. They wouldn't sell me any. Oh, no. <laughs> they wouldn't sell me the kosher Coke. And I finally... They finally called me about four days before Passover and said, we have a pellet. Would you like it? And I said, sure, I'll take it. And the kosher Coke is made with cane sugar. The Coke, uh, you know, in order um, in order to be kosher, it cannot have sprouted grains. And if so, if it's made with corn syrup, it'll be sprouted grain. And they can't have anything sprouted. Huh. Anyway, so... I tasted, oh my goodness, honestly and truly, it was the Coca-Cola I remember from, you know, 30 years before. It was just, bang, it hit and it hmm. went on. And then about two weeks after Passover, they went out of code. So they came in to pick them all up and I wouldn't let them pick them up. <laughs> I just said, no. I said, this is Coca-Cola. The wow. next year I got, I got kosher Coke and it wasn't the same. So, so, John, now normally we throw our guests into a fun quiz, but because we really want a list of amazing sodas we have to try, what what we've decided to do is we're going to do a speed round. Uh, we're going to ask you to name a great soda that we should try in that category, and we're going to try to keep these fast. So so give us a name and a one sentence on why that soda, if that sounds good to you. You ready? Fire away. All right. How about a banana-flavored soda? Yes. And it's called Tropical. They changed it from Banana Nina to Tropical, <laughs> and that tastes like, uh, um, oh, um, Jolly Rancher banana soda. How about cucumber? Next on the list. Okay. Well, cucumber uh, actually won the soda of the year competition, and we had it five years before anybody else knew anything about it. Nobody would give them a chance, and it's just incredible. Ours just pops with flavor. It's just crisp and clean. And we're still the only ones who carry the original formula. <laughs> it's called uh, it's called Mr. Cucumber. Mr. Cucumber, I like that. Well, how about your favorite flower flavored soda? The, the rose is still the, my favorite. It's very light, very crisp, very delicate. When it first came on the market, Billy's from Romania, and he told me he made it with Romanian rose petals. And I'm thinking, oh no, perfume. And then he sent me some sample bottles, and I wanted to know why. The, the people in the United States have never been exposed to anything like this before. It's just delicious. How about your favorite international soda? I like the Africola from Germany. You know, Africola actually was here in 1896. And then about 10 or 15 years ago, it went away for a while. <laughs> and now it's back. And it's, a, it's actually one of the first dry sodas made. And then finally, how about your favorite soda from a, a small family in the U.S.? A bottler in Pennsylvania? And they do a Red Ribbon, Pennsylvania Punch. That's actually the original 1924 formula Delaware Punch. And everybody out here has been looking for Delaware Punch. And, of course, it's now part of Coca-Cola. And they only make it, I think, in East Texas. And they use corn syrup. And when you taste it, it burns the back of your throat and you'll throw it away. If you go to Mexico, you'll find the Delaware Punch from about Guadalajara South. And this is the original formula. The little bottler found the formula. 
If I told you the story, you would laugh forever on it. We'll have to hear that. Well, I hope everyone who visits L.A. will get a chance to stop by Galco's or purchase some of the amazing sodas online at sodapopstop.com. But, John, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks so much for joining us on Part-Time Genius. You're very welcome, and thank you very much for calling. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. So before the break, we were talking about Pepsi making inroads in the African-American community. And, you know, it's funny to think about Pepsi supporting Beyonce while Coke was a Taylor Swift drink, but it isn't as clear cut as that. And for years, you were telling me that Pepsi was actually considered a Republican drink, right? Yeah, it's strange. So Pepsi first got known as a Republican brand when it gave money to Joseph McCarthy. Like witch hunt McCarthy? Yeah, the same. So Pepsi wasn't interested in his politics, but they were interested in the fact that he had a seat on the sugar committee. And when it got out that Pepsi had paid him $20,000 through a lobbyist, McCarthy defended himself by saying, quote, I don't answer charges. I make them. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And he got the nickname the Pepsi-Cola kid after that. But for the most part, presidents like FDR, JFK, Carter, mostly Democrats with the exception of Eisenhower, they were all loyal to Coca-Cola. Johnson even had a button at his Oval Office desk that dispensed Coke for him. But you were saying before that Nixon was a Pepsi man. Yeah, he definitely was. And I didn't know any of this before we did the show, but this might be my favorite story in here. When he was VP, Nixon was pals with this guy, Donald Kendall, who's this exec at Pepsi at the time. And it's unclear whether there was money being exchanged or not, but they're definitely good friends. And Kendall, who isn't supposed to be there, finds his way to Russia, where Nixon's about to meet with Khrushchev for the famous kitchen debates. And before the event, Kendall tells Nixon 
it'd be great for Pepsi if a bottle could find its way into Khrushchev's hands. <laughs> and Nixon says, quote, don't worry, I'll do it. And he does. Like, wow. he actually convinces Khrushchev to take a swig of Pepsi. And Pepsi, of course, gloats about this because the picture ends up on the front page of American papers and papers all over the globe. And it seems like they've taken it to the USSR and Khrushchev's finally getting a taste of democracy. But then it gets crazier. And how's that? Well, Nixon loses a bid for the presidency in 1960 and then one for California governor in 1962. So he's wondering if he even has a shot in politics anymore, though he's still clearly ambitious. And he goes looking for a law job. He wants something prestigious and pays well, but has to be part time so he can still campaign and test the waters. And his boy, Donald Kendall, hasn't forgotten him. So Kendall spreads the word that any law firm that picks up Nixon will win Pepsi's business. Oh, gosh. And then Pepsi partly pays for Nixon to go on a world tour. And at every spot he visits and meets with prime ministers and presidents, he's not only appearing on Newsreel and, and he looks presidential, which is great for his upcoming campaign, but he opens the door for Pepsi to enter each of those markets. And when Nixon enters the White House... In his first months, he appoints Kendall head of the National Alliance of Businessmen. He helps smooth the deal with the Soviets where we trade Pepsi bottling rights for vodka. And he switches out all the Coke products in the White House for Pepsi, something that doesn't get reversed until Jimmy Carter comes into office. Wow. And, you know, I mean, I guess none of this is illegal, but it definitely feels ethically murky. Well, being in with politicians is a good strategy, especially when you're at war. And, and Coke and Pepsi definitely were. All right. So, so we haven't talked as much about Coke's dominance and they've clearly used the same, if, if not maybe even smarter tactics from time to time. And their, their advertising was, of course, genius. You know, the teach the world to sing anthem, which you know, I think we all know was written by Don Draper, right? <laughs> At least that's what I learned from Mad Men. Uh, but, but they did quite a bit of embracing of flower power and then their mean Joe Green ad. But, you know, their business intelligence was also super savvy. Jimmy Carter referred to Coke as a built-in State Department because of their incredible connections and international intel. They were in China, you know, talking with politicians six years before an American embassy was even established there. And when Carter gave Portugal a loan, Portugal, who'd had a 60-year ban on Coke, suddenly opened their gates. I mean, there's a lot of dirty tactics and smart business at work from Coke's end to secure their dominance. But I think the single biggest blow to Coke in the Cola Wars I mean, it's got to be the Pepsi challenge. Oh, definitely. I mean, it led to Coke's biggest crisis of confidence, New Coke. Yeah, and, and, and let's talk a little bit about why the Pepsi challenge was so effective. To begin with, it equated a sip and a blind taste test with a soda preference. I mean, that's genius. And, and Pepsi was sweeter than Coke, so it almost always won the test. And because it was so simple to do, people started doing this at home with their friends and, and choosing Pepsi. According to a Slate piece, by 1983, Pepsi was outselling Coke in supermarkets. And it was just because of the fast food tie-ins and larger infrastructure of soda machines that helped Coke manage to, to keep this lead. So the ads for Coke during this period are baffling. I mean, uh, there's, there's one, and I'll post this on Facebook, but it's a response to the Pepsi challenge from a good old boy making fun of the challenge. He's just like sitting in a chair and saying, we don't need the challenge. And, and the initial strategy was simply to poke fun at it and try to swat it away. And, and that clearly didn't work because by the mid-80s, Coke was terrified. I mean, they'd been playing with the idea of changing their formula, 
but now felt like a good time. And the secrecy was amazing. I was just reading about some of this. And so anyone that worked on the ad campaign at McCann Erickson had to sign a special confidentiality agreement forbidding them to talk about it with their friends or their (laughs) colleagues or their spouses. They even had special briefcases meant for carrying the cans and all the paraphernalia. There were security firms hired and special offices employed. Even people who worked for Coke didn't know that this was in the works. And so after testing a new formula on 200,000 people in blind taste tests, then they watched them prefer this drink over the classic. They felt great about New Coke. And, uh, of course, you know what happens next. Yeah, New Coke, New Coke's it. (laughs) Exactly. And at the press conference announcing the change, bottlers were not thrilled. And Pepsi basically saw this as a victory in the Cola War. They take out this full-page newspaper ad and several papers, and it says, after 87 years of going eyeball to eyeball, the other guy blinked. <laughs> I kind of love that, honestly. And they give everyone in the company the Friday off since it's this, been this long battle, and then they see that they deserved it. <laughs> I love that. And and obviously that gloating had to hurt, but not as much as the customer response, right? Well, it's amazing. I mean, there, there no amount of parades or fireworks or smart ads could turn it around. The press wrote nasty reviews of the new beverage. According to this Sabotage Times article, Coke ads were booed when they were played on the big screen at Houston Astrodome. <laughs> Apparently, customers filed a class action demanding the old formula back. And that wasn't the worst part. Coke got 40,000 complaint letters and was receiving 8,000 angry calls every day. It no. was just insane. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But when they pulled a Domino's and fessed up to their mistake and re-released the classic formula, that turned things around, right? I mean, it was a big deal. If you, you may remember this, that Peter Jennings interrupted General Hospital to announce the breaking news when it happened. What? And it couldn't have made Coke fans happier. So returning to the original formula was this massive marketing coup, and, and Coke's sales shot up immediately. So we definitely have a few more topics to hit. And again, there's so much good stuff, it's hard to hit it all. But I do want to talk for a second about the non-blind study where tasters did the Pepsi challenge but knew what they were drinking. So in the blind study, both soft drinks stimulated the same part of the brain, the part that's used to determine flavor. But when the drinks were uncovered, as Slate reports, Coke saw this spike in the prefrontal cortex which some scientists think is because of all the associations and emotions and all the advertising-related attachments we have with Coke, which is pretty nuts, right? It definitely is. But I think we have time for one more political story. And why don't we tap a Republican hero this time? And that's Ronald Reagan. So Reagan has kind of a funny story. Like, he didn't think Pepsi selling to communists was that big a deal. And so he wanted to see open markets. So in a speech, he dismissed the small time thinking of selling Pepsi to Siberians. So, So he was a Coke guy then, right? Well, not exactly. While Pepsi was signing talents like Michael Jackson, they were simultaneously signaling to the public that they were this Republican brand. But from what I can tell, Reagan was impartial, and both brands were sent in space on the Challenger, which I'm not sure would have happened on Nixon or Carter's watch. Can you just take a can of soda up into space? No. I mean, Coke changed their formula again to make something more aerodynamically flavorful, and NASA was happy to put it in astronauts' hands. And then Pepsi found out about this, and and they spent a supposed $14 million developing their own can, which kind of looked like a bottle of shaving cream. (laughs) And when NASA, like, when they launched with four cans of Coke for the day shift and four cans of Pepsi for the night shift, 
it turned into this total disappointment. Oh, yeah? Why is that? So, uh, according to Smithsonian Magazine, the astronauts in the spirit of scientific inquiry staged a Pepsi challenge of their own. And their verdict was blah on both counts. Ouch. The soda didn't remind them of home, and both cans were a waste of time. God, hard to please <laughs> the uh, the astronauts. Uh, you know, of course, the cola wars would continue after this, and Pepsi would branch into snack foods and fast food joints, and both brands would buy up a bunch of competitors abroad, invest in their diet sodas, and, and branch into waters. But, you know, today, cola wars feel like a thing of the past, to be honest, and Something you might tell your kids about in passing, like rotary phones or floppy disk, and, of course, RC Colas. <laughs> I knew you'd slip in RC Cola in here somewhere. Well, I just had to. I mean, it's too interesting. So so just quickly to talk about this. So, so RC Cola also started in Georgia in the early 1900s. Actually, this was in the 40s. It launched something that sounds eerily familiar. These were these public taste tests where RC Cola went head-to-head with Coke and Pepsi. Now, all the contests were rigged, but they were organized across the nation. And, of course, RC was also quick to capitalize on celebrities. And they got Bing Crosby and Shirley Temple, I think Lucille Ball, all these big names to shill for it. But the biggest and smartest thing RC Cola ever did was basically to launch the diet cola market with the diet right in 1962. So this idea of a healthy soda, it stunned the competitors. And it was another 20 years before Diet Coke came out. So what happened with RC Cola? Like, why didn't they win the Cola Wars? Well, have you tasted one? (laughs) Well, actually, what happened is the sugar lobby came out with guns blazing and set their scientists to destroy cyclamate, which was the sweetener that was being used. A report showed that the sweetener caused cancer in rats. I mean, forget the fact that rats were basically being subjected to the equivalent of 500 diet rights a day. (laughs) And so America banned the additive that actually is still being sold in some parts of Europe today. So then RC Cola made another mistake when they bought and mismanaged Arby's. And and then there were some tax evasion charges. And now you mostly find RC Cola in the Onion headlines, like this one from 1997. It says, um, RC Cola celebrates its 10th purchase. <laughs> so my favorite Onion story about Coke is... Uh Pepsi CEO's wife buys Coke when she's mad at him. <laughs> it's how when he comes home from work the next morning, the fridge might be fully stocked with Diet Cokes. <laughs> and, and we could obviously trade onion stories for a while, but let's trade some facts instead. It's time for the fact off. All right, I'll kick us off here. So did you know that when Coke wanted to up the price of Coke from five cents and they didn't want to move to 10 cents, they asked Eisenhower to commission a seven and a half cent coin? (laughs) Though he was hunting buddies with the Coke CEO and even a fan of Coke, he clearly didn't see a reason for doing this. So one of Pepsi's best-selling products in China is Pepsi-Cola chicken-flavored Lay's chips, (laughs) which feels like the holy grail of synergy. Oh, man, if they could just make a taco shell out of it. (laughs) So apparently cooking chicken in a cola soy sauce mix is, like, super popular in the country, and so the flavor isn't as unusual as you might think. Actually, I have to be honest, I would try that, just (laughs) just like I have so many of their other products. But over the years, Coke has had plenty of celebrities endorse the product, from LeBron to David Bowie, Christina Aguilera to the Beatles. But perhaps the one I would have never guessed, 
Elvis was a Coke man. <laughs> and, and of course, Pepsi has their own arsenal of stars from Madonna to Michael Jackson to Beyonce. But I'm going to take this back to when Pepsi went to Russia in the Nixon era. So apparently the Soviets were super excited about the beverage because they thought it would decrease alcoholism. And colas had obviously been these liquid mascots of temperance over the years. But when Donald Kendall was taken to Sochi to see how Russians were taken to the drink, he realized no one was drinking Pepsi straight. It was only being used as a mixer for vodka. So while Coke was happy to allow bottling of the product in Germany up until the U.S. created this trade embargo in World War II, that's when they stopped, the head of Coca-Cola in Deutschland, Max Keith, had to come up with this new product. He was super resourceful, and so he used what he called the leftovers of leftovers. This is whey and the pulp residue from cider mills, and, and he created a new line of sodas, which you might know now as Fanta. Oh, that's crazy. So speaking of Germany, the absolute weirdest thing I found online was these fobs for your watch that were produced by Coke and they were in swastika shapes. Oh, that's weird. Did it have anything to do with like a Nazi allegiance or something? No. So that's the craziest part. These were manufactured in the 1920s. And that's because the swastika was obviously hijacked by the Nazis. But before then, it was this Hindu and Buddhist good luck symbol. And it was seen that way around the world. Wow, that's pretty creepy and weird. All right. So here's one I think you'll like. Just like Coke and Pepsi couldn't displace Vita-Cola from formerly East German regions or, like you were saying earlier, that thumbs up in India, you know, one soft drink they couldn't beat in Brazil comes from a Coke distributor, and it's 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 so-called Pink Dream, and it's a beverage called Guarana Jesus, or, or Jesus. It's, it's definitely <laughs> Jesus. I got too excited by Jesus' name stamped on a can, but the flavor comes from the Guarana plant, which is a stimulant, and according to the drink's creator, Taste isn't the only thing it stimulates. <laughs> so I, I also love the idea of this pink soda with Jesus's name on the side of it. So <laughs> I think you win this week's Fact Off. But listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you have a great Coke or Pepsi fact we missed, be sure to shoot us a note on Facebook, Twitter, or call into our 24-7 Fact Hotline at 1-844-PT-GENIUS. By the way, do you know what my favorite soda name is? Grapeco? No, not Grapeco. It's Beverly. Supposedly, it's the worst-tasting soda at Coca-Cola World. Like, we should go check it out. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. <laughs> Jerry Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, 
You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.